Our first scripture reading this morning is from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verses 18 through 29. It's a bit of a reading, so listen carefully. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house, that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes. O Lord God, you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. May this be instruction for the people, O Lord. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have wrought all this greatness so that your servant may know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God. For there is no one like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Who is like your people Israel? Is there another nation on earth whose God went to redeem it as a people, and to make a name for himself, doing great and awesome things for them, by driving out before his people nations and their gods? And you established your people Israel for yourself to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord, as for the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, confirm it forever. Do as you have promised. Thus your name will be magnified forever in the saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O God, have spoken with your, and your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Our second reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Listen to God's word. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples, began to, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear anything familiar this morning? Don't tell me you already forgot what the readings were last week. <laughs> we used the entire Beatitudes last week. I thought I would do this this week to show you that you can use the same verses and get a whole different sermon. <laughs> Scripture calls David the greatest king of Israel. Why? He was an adulterer, 
He was a murderer. He was a killer. He had a tendency to ignore God's rules, especially when he got older when he was kind of losing it. So why is he supposed to be this great king? Saul was far more prosperous. And Josiah was far more righteous. Was it Israel's prosperity under David that made him a great king? As Israel's territory grew, it encompassed trade route after trade route. And if you know your basic geography of where Israel is, every road in the Middle East that connected west with east went through Israel. And when you control the roads, you control the toll. And tolls can make a country rich. And by golly, it did. And eventually, they even controlled part of connecting Asia. And they controlled part of Arabia, Africa. And eventually, they ended up in Europe. Not all at the same time. But they spread far and wide even after they ceased to be known as Israel. Eventually, they control routes connecting all of that. And why does that matter? I'm, this is a quiz you have to answer. <laughs> Tariffs. Yes, tolls. You got it. Keep that in mind. It was important, of course, to guarantee people's safety. You pay the toll and somebody bothers you if they rob you. We catch the thieves and we get your goods and your money returned to you. And those thieves will cease to be a problem. If you get killed, we're going to find your killers and we're going to make sure that your heirs are compensated. Fairly. It's a matter for, for David of national honor. And where does that compensation that David promises them, where does it come from? From David's treasury. Whatever the people who have offended you have taken that they cannot replace, David opens his own pocket and pays you the difference. You know, I was a little short on buying my Coke this morning. I had to go back out to the truck and get some change. Why don't we have David for a king? That would have saved me a trip. But David is this king, this sovereign ruler who has never failed to pay people from his own pocket. Wow. So is this what made David a great king? Well, it made him a darn good one. His son Solomon came along and taxed people beyond their endurance. And we call him the great and wise Solomon. He actually was pretty much an idiot when it came to being a king. 
But there's another glimpse from our reading from 2 Samuel. First, in David's prayer, we find one of the most amazing prayers ever made and a good model for all of us. First, David acknowledges God and God's power before he does anything else. Remember what we say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Same model. And he's not being hollow or slick. Hollow and slick prayers only last about that long. And besides that, David seems to understand that you can't be slick with God. It won't work. God always knows the truth. David is approaching with genuine awe and with genuine gratitude toward God. Why he chose to say, you, O Lord God, so many times in one prayer, I don't know. But perhaps that's because of God's goodness. And David can't say God's name enough. Why did Israel get established in the first place? To please God. It pleased God to do it, and so it happened. Israel did not exist for itself. Israel existed for God. They were not their own people. God told them, you are my people. They could not exist for themselves. They had to exist for God. And David acknowledged that truth. Israel existed at God's pleasure. And it could just as easily not exist at God's pleasure. And David says all of this first and only reminds God of God's promise to make the Davidic dynasty last forever after he has acknowledged God. And now he's even saying, not demanding, he's saying, if it pleases you, please Remember your promise to make this house last forever. If it pleases you. I think David was a great king because in spite of all his worldly power and authority, he remembered that he lived and ruled because God decided it should be so. He didn't rule with God's power. God God's power is what gave him rule. And he seems to have remembered that most of his life. It's also interesting how all through that prayer he speaks about himself in the third person. Your servant. Your servant. Your servant. Even in the language he chooses to speak to God, he chooses a, a pattern of language that sub subordinates himself to God. He knows his position, even though he is a king. But he also, by paying things out of his own pocket, subordinates himself to Israel. I am your king. And one of the things that I find most impressive about David 
is that for most of his rule, he realized that the people did not belong to him, that he belonged to them as their leader. And thence comes the sacrifices he made. David was looking to Israel's welfare and treaties and other uh, administrative duties because David knew if Israel prospered, he would prosper too. He's got the cart after the horse where it belongs. Would it be that our leaders today would think that way? David does have this sense of entitlement as king. He is king. And there's no question in his mind that he is. And there's no question apparently in God's mind because he is. But he tried to hold some of that in check by his sense of subordination to God. And his sense of subordination to Israel. And there thence comes the self-sacrifice he was willing to make. He saw abuse of God's goodness to him, holding back what God had given him as abuse of God's love. And he also saw the possible, his possible abuse of God's love and graciousness to his people as a sin. And so he refused to do it. He knows what will happen to God's people. Not his people. God's people if he puts himself first. He's setting an example. And he knows if those people put themselves first, we're in trouble. We have some examples of self-indulgence today. The, the, I was kind of busy this week. I did the research, but I could only come up with figures of for 2006 and 2007. Sorry. <laughs> but we can consider General Motors and think about this kind of leadership. In 2006, they were ending contracts with 2,600 dealerships nationwide. Now, how many people work for each dealership? How many people does that put out of work? And they said they would probably file for bankruptcy at that point. Now, according to Executive Paywatch, the CEO of General Motors that year made $20 million. How many employees could they have kept for that $20 million? Think about this. <laughs> Think about this. His salary comes down to $384,615 a week. He makes $6,410 per hour. I don't make that in a month. Is anybody worth $6,410 an hour. Can anybody make that kind of contribution? 
it's my opinion, but no. You could hire for what he makes. You could hire 128 workers at $50 an hour. And his, his salary at the time was a 79% increase over the year before. He must have done some great things if they were filing for bankruptcy. All my life, my dad worked for Johnson & Johnson, so I was a management child. And all my life I heard the reason we can't compete is these union workers are making $35 an hour with health insurance and retirement. The workers are just too greedy. Well, let's think about this. You know why prescription drug costs are so high? Get this. This is also 2007 figures. James Cornelius of Bristol Myers Squibb made $23 million. Robert Esner of Wyeth Labs made 24. Richard Clark of Merck made $25 million. And we're told that research and development is the reason that drugs are so expensive. That's just the top guy. What is the number two guys? What do they make? There's more than one of them. And I'm not even going to bring up this other guy, but his initials are Bruce Wasserstein. <laughs> and he works, he's the CEO of Lazard Limited. Anybody ever heard of Lazard or what they do? His salary in 2007 was $134 million. I didn't do the figures on per hour because I knew that would just kill me. And probably all of you too. The problem is we have too many leaders with a sense of entitlement. They have forgotten that they belong to us, not us to them. They've forgotten to lead by example. We're talking about people who think they should be able to afford to go to the doctor. These union people. We're talking about people who think they should be able to afford medicine when they're sick. We're talking about people who think they should have childcare so they can go to work. We're talking about people who want to have a food, a home, clothing, and would never dare to ask for $24 million a year or 6400 whatever it was, an hour. We can't pay them 15 or 25 or 30 $35 an hour because we've got to pay this guy. I disagree. We've forgotten what David seemed to know in his very soul. People don't belong to their leaders. Leaders belong to their people. Leaders are servants of God's people. These people who work for anyone, our staff here, I'm 
more or less their supervisor, depending on the day. You got it. But even these people who work here do not belong to me. Even though I can make decisions affecting the work they do, they're not mine. They belong to God. They're a resource that I have to use responsibly. And I also have to make sure that we take care of them. And fortunately, they're all members of this church. And that helps. Did David make mistakes? Absolutely. We know the story of Bathsheba and then his proxy murder of Uriah to cover his sin. And when he was confronted with it, the fact that he was the killer, then what was David's response? He tore his clothes, rubbed himself with ashes, and wept over that sin. The king wept over a sin he committed against one minor military leader. He was inconsolable over the devastation he'd caused in the lives of all these other people. And I sometimes wonder if maybe that wasn't what turned him a little odd later in his life, that guilt. And he was more inconsolable over his sin over his sins toward God by the same act. He still knew who he was in relation to God and God's people. I think that is what made David a great king. And that is exactly what can make us great Christians. Jesus blessed, said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, we know not just believe that we are spiritually bankrupt on our own, don't we? That it takes God's grace to make us worth anything again? We know that all we are or can be depends entirely on God. We are God's children clinging to the hem of his robe. And when we're inconsolable over our sins and the sins of the world, we are truly God's children. And once that happens, the kingdom of God is ours. There's still one unanswered question. What about David's house and God's promise that it would last forever? Jerusalem fell. The temple was destroyed in 583 B.C. What about the house of David that was going to last forever? Did David's line end? No. Because no matter how you slice it, Jesus was a descendant of David. And Jesus rules forever. Amen. In about 4 BCE, a king was born in the city of David to the house of David. And his kingdom will never end. Amen. Come, let's stand and say who we are and to whom we belong.
God alone is Lord of the conscience. 